You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. And Herds, <gasps> we normally Flex. talk about stops <laughs> and our Murder Mystery World Tour, but yeah. they are quite literal today because mm-hmm. we are doing Jordan Mechner's The Last Express. Yeah, at, at my request, uh, after many years of just trying to persuade, like, we got to do it sometime. I know we're, we're a Murder Mystery book show, but, like, I, look, video games... Or art two. Okay, I think we're past having that discussion. Uh, the Last Express is a novel that, or sorry, a novel. The See, novel. he can't even Hold stop on. himself. <laughs> well, the problem is, I'm holding a book right in my hands. Here. I'm holding uh, in my in my hands a 200 page tome of knowledge that I'm going right. to read from in a moment. But it, it is a, a game that I play when I was but a wee lad. Mm-hmm. Uh, this came out in 1997. Uh, developed by Smoking Car Productions and produced by Broderbund. There's a bit of a story there. We'll, yeah. we'll get into that. But I want to read a, just a little bit of the foreword to give you an idea of of where this this game kind of sits in our in our, our artistic history. I guess. Now let's let's just say first of all, I I can tell how formative this entire process was for Herds because there's so many affectations of Herds' speech today yeah. on the show. We are discussing the journey from Paris to Vienna, uh-huh. although we got a bad <laughs> ending at yeah. Vienna. Which, well, which means that uh, we're not going to be discussing everything that could happen at no, the end. No, no. The the problem is that the passage between Munich, when the merchandise will be put on the train at Munich, uh, bad things start to happen once the merchandise gets on the train mm-hmm. in the story, which we'll, we'll get into. And so depending on uh, how you kind of play the game and what kind of mysteries you're able to uncover, uh, you can... There is a high chance of you getting a bad end in Vienna, having to actually go back to Munich yeah. and, and figure things out again, which is what happened to Flex. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we should say this is part of a curriculum of yeah. interactive entertainment that we are doing at the moment because mm. there is a uh, a stretch of interactive fiction, particularly mystery-driven fiction, that has yeah. been super exciting online. And you know, stepping back, I'd say this is probably uh, one of the forefathers of that subgenre. <laughs> So we'll be covering a few things in that nature. We're only doing two weeks on The Last Express. And uh, it, it was- time. It's it never, was, never enough time. It was yep. never enough time. And <laughs> the other thing that's exciting Spoilers. is we've been streaming all of these games. Yeah. So this has well and truly happened by the time you hear this on radio or on the podcast. But if mm-hmm. you go to uh, the YouTube page via the link on our social media at Flex and Herds, you can find yourself uh, the streams that we did and catch up on the experience of actually playing the games and stories we're covering if you mm-hmm. don't get the chance to do them yeah. yourselves. You can get to see both of us go through it, uh, both the inexperienced new, new person mm-hmm. and the master of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I wanted to actually touch on something you said, and, and you're not incorrect here that The Last Express is a, a big, you know, a forefather, as you say, of of murder mystery, you know, ad- adventure games. Because that's really what this is, first and foremost. It's an adventure game uh, more than it is a murder mystery. But the the murder mystery kind of begins uh, as your protagonist, this, this doctor who's on the run from the law, Robert Kath, makes his way onto a speeding train uh, via motorcycle. Mm-hmm. It's like rides up alongside the train. It's great. It's a great little action sequence, uh, only to find that the person who's called into the train, Mr. Tyler Whitney, uh, has been murdered. He's dead in his own compartment. Uh, and after, you know, definitely avoiding some game overs, Robert Katz can don Tyler Whitney's identity, you know, and to figure out what's actually on the train. Um, and obviously we'll, we'll get into this more as we, as we kind of go through the, through the episode today. But this, this game is not designed first and foremost as a murder mystery. I remember mm-hmm. as, as you were kind of going through your first steps through this, uh, through this story, 
I remember you saying something effective, but where are the clues that I can use? You know, because yeah. in most modern uh, murder mystery games, uh, contradiction comes to mind. That is a game where you explicitly collect clues and then try and match the clues to the statements that people make to try and catch them out. Yeah. Uh, but in a game like The Last Express, uh, most of the conversations that are triggered are triggered by your character having experienced things, and you don't have a lot of input in directly sort of associating clues with with characters and like picking through the mystery that way. Um, to me, the murder mystery in this story, even though it's kicked off by the death of your old friend that you then take the identity of, the murder mystery you're really trying to solve is your own. <laughs> I, uh, I completely agree. One of the things that was very fascinating to me is in preparation for this, because we've been, you know, we've had this in the wings on Death of the Reader for a fair while, yeah. and we wanted to prepare our, uh, and then there were none curriculum before we got here. And it was really interesting to me going through, and I was playing old adventure games like Myst. I'm currently mm -hmm. going through Rem, uh, which is a Myst alike from the early 2000s. And it was mm -hmm. so interesting seeing the way that they did narratives through their clues, through the way that they environmentally tell their stories. And that's very much the same for The Last Express, but The Last Express takes it in such a different direction. Yeah. One thing that I was really astounded by as I was playing through was how much the game hit at the exact core weakness I have at solving <laughs> mystery stories, which is that I do it slowly, I do it repetitively, yep. and I take a lot of time to think. And the way that this game works is that things in the world react to what you do in such a way that time is a bit all over the place. And as you're going through, if you're just doing laps of the train in this interactive uh, recreation of the Orient Express, things will just pass you by. Mm -hmm. And for me, playing adventure games like Mist, normally just clicking around the map is how I take the time to think and spot things that I maybe missed, look for environmental clues that I didn't see the first time. So The Last Express was nightmarishly intense for me. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the the thing is that you will find environmental clues, but most of the environmental design is dedicated to faithfully recreating this train, the Orient Express. Uh, the story goes that Jordan Mechner got a call one day about a defunct uh, uh, sleeping car in, in Athens, in Greece, and they showed a bunch of footage there so that they could recreate the, the sleeping cars as closely as possible. But yeah, most of the clues in this story come from the conversations that other characters have um, and also your ability to to make your way into spaces on the train that you shouldn't really be able to, right? Because mm. your character isn't set up as the detective. Um, you're, you're a criminal, effectively. And so if you want to find all of the clues that are possible in a given playthrough of the game, you have to kind of learn how to manipulate the mechanics, effectively. Yeah. Because the way that the game is set up is on a timer. There is a, a three-day journey, I think it is, from, from Paris, you know, all the way to Constantinople or to the end of the game, that sort of thing. Um, along with three discs, and uh, you have to find as many clues and as many conversations as possible through that process. And all of these things, all these little conversations are scheduled to happen at specific points in time. There was an entire subplot that, that Flex actually missed uh, involving a German industrialist and an Austrian woman uh, with a, a lovely talent for playing the violin. Mm -hmm. They have basically a little romance on the train, and there are maybe four scenes between the start of the game and Vienna where we ended the game, and I don't think you saw a single one. I think we passed one on an attempt to talk to a different character. Yeah. So we at least saw it happening, and you kind of <laughs> mentioned it as I screamed past. Exactly. And that's why it was so uh, exciting getting to see certain dynamics like the uh, Serbian rebels who mm. are on the train. We don't know for sure yet, but it seems pretty clear that they're looking for an arms deal yep. uh, with the German industrialist you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And the way that just their body language works because these are all rotoscoped footage of yeah. actual people. 
uh, there's so much nuance to what is a very old school game in the way it portrays its character identities. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the production because it is it is pretty important to understanding where this game kind of sits because when it was made, uh, it was made in, from a period between 1993 and 1997. Um, and it was it cost them five million dollars because of the the rotoscoping process and the and the photo shoots and the the authenticity that they that they strove for. Um, the way the rotoscoping actually works is that they doled up the the actors in basically cartoon makeup and then turn that in a black and white on the film, and then they would digitally like trace that and then color in the tracing by a cartoon artist. Yeah. So it's a it's a very involved like multi stage process. And it looks it looks so good. Yeah. It's inspired by the Art Nouveau movement that yeah. was you know created around the time of the First World War. Um, but unfortunately, we know that the game was a complete and total commercial flop, even though it got incredible reviews from people who actually played it. And the reason for that is because uh, their parent company. Brodebund uh, lost its marketing team two months before the game was supposed to come out, so nobody had heard of it. And then the Brodebund company was acquired by The Learning Company, who were responsible for games like Read a Rabbit and like edu- edutainment games for kids. And they took one look at this like murder and violence-filled, drug-infused political thriller and said, yep. we don't want none of that. <laughs> and they pulled it before before two months had even passed yeah. from the shelves. So this, this game, uh, despite all the love and attention and money, dare I say, that's been poured into it, Barely saw the light of day. I know, one of the things that's nice about it, we're playing the gold edition of the game, which is actually yep. a port done for phones. Uh, and you can see that so much care has been put into the way that they've updated it, despite yep. crashing a couple of times on us, <laughs> which is just one of the things you have to deal yeah. with with older games. Uh, it was actually really stable and smooth once we got it up and running. And it's so good that reimaginings and re-releases like that can keep interactive fiction alive in the same way that reprints and retranslations can of other fiction. I guess we'll have to talk about the mystery in the tail yeah. end of the show. And it's going to be a very different discussion because of course this is interactive <laughs> and we'll talk a bit about the time mechanic absolutely uh, and the other feature of said time mechanic in the mm-hmm, tail end mm-hmm. of the show but i'm so excited to get there and do something a little unique and bizarre you're listening to death of the reader this is flex and herds discussing mm-hmm. the last express by jordan mechner the and best Smoking game Car Productions. the best game ever made we'll be back with more of that in just a second You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex here with you. I'm joined by James Dalton, Chief Archivist for the Australian Railway Historical Society. And uh, I'm so excited to have you here, James. We're doing a bit of a weird uh, collection at the moment. Normally we cover murder mystery books and murder mystery fiction, but we've taken a jump over to The Last Express, an interactive fiction game set on the Orient Express and its journey in the leading days into World War I and the clash of cultures on the train. And I wanted to bring you on to talk a little bit about Australia's rail history and how important the mingling of cultures is. So I wanted to start by asking, your job is preserving the grand history of trains in Australia. What challenges do you face in keeping that legacy safe? Uh, I think uh, the biggest uh, legacy, I, I suppose, or the biggest challenge rather, is uh, the amount of material that we have and that keeps coming in. So we're often uh, donations come in of new material, whether it's uh, paperwork people have collected, yeah. uh, photographs, uh, drawings, all sorts of things. And uh, we have a great volunteer team, but it's it's you know there's a life's work there in front of us. All the time. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things as as a, as a closet train nerd myself, uh, often when I, you know, I find Wikipedia pages and archive pages are so beautifully detailed because there is that wealth of information out there. It takes a while. Uh, it has taken a while to get where we are today. So people take it for granted. 
but like most things, it's an evolution of technology and the the level of comfort we have these days, the the quiet trains, they're electric, they're smooth, they're fast generally. Um, uh, You know, it wasn't always that way and people might complain about it today, but we've come a long way. Yeah, I guess that's the fascinating thing about, you know, electric trains or just public transport in any shape is that it's such a part of your day-to-day lives, you kind of take it for granted and that's why it's so important, the kind of archival work you and the team do uh, to preserve something that otherwise would kind of just be lost because it's so mundane to people. That's right. Yeah, I wanted to jump over because a train is kind of more than a tightly bound connection of metal and gears, but a place for people to socialize and share ideas. For example, the Orient Express, people think of the Orient Express as a train, but it was actually a service that mingled cultures and all of these different ideas. How important for a growing nation like Australia was the railway network in the communication when the train was the fastest way to get news from point A to point B. Yeah, I think it was tremendously important, especially around that that time you, you're talking about, around the, the turn of the century. Um, it was really the only way to get around and it was a connection from uh, the country to the city and it was a means not just of uh, passenger transport but also of moving goods around. And if you lived in a country town, uh, that was your really your connection with the outside world. Mm. And the, the, the system was such that um, you could get something sent from the city and receive it pretty much within 24 hours, much as we would expect these days, yeah. which is not a bad uh, effort for more than 100 years ago. <laughs> that's, that's pretty impressive. I think the other thing that's really exciting to me looking back at that history is that there are so many different stories that, you know, are inseparable from the trains that carried them, different political events that certain towns only he- heard about because a train took a week or something to cross the entire country to get there. And for the uh, the story we're talking about, The Last Express, the crew at the studio that put it together were reached out to by a s- small group of volunteer archivists with information about the Orient Express that the company itself thought was completely lost. So how important are volunteer archivists for detailing these small pieces of history that, as we said, most people would just accept? Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned challenges before, and one one of the challenges is uh, making sure that we collect uh not just the, the the tangible paper and photographs and everything, but the memories and the information, the knowledge that people, that volunteers and other people have, whether that's through oral history or getting them to write it down. But they have a tremendous, a lot of our volunteers have a tremendous depth of, of knowledge, not just of railway working, but stories that happened uh, of their employment. Um, uh, yeah, so, you know, it, it's quite remarkable uh, the amount of experience that's there and uh, we need to try and – our challenge is to try and get that recorded while it's still there yeah, and accessible. Yeah, you know, you mentioned there are a lot of people who kind of used to work in the rail industry, and I think actually there are a lot of people in radio I know who are very passionate about classic public transport. What is it about historical transport that has this kind of childlike wonderment for so many people who get involved with these archival efforts? What's the most engaging part of that history? I really don't know. I, I can only imagine it's something – there's a sentimentality – uh, and a nostalgia that's wrapped up in it. Yeah. And the fact that you can take that out on, out on the road or out on the tracks, uh, it does kind of transport you back to that time as yeah. well, physically as well as uh, virtually, you know. So perhaps that's what it is. It's less static than a museum. It's a, it's a moving museum and yeah. it's an experience as well as something just to see. 
I think that was really fun. We were talking before I switched the mics on here about how I, I unfortunately missed the relaunch of the 3801, which was a sore point for me because I grew up with a poster of the train, one of Australia's most famous trains on the wall above my bed, and it was one of the first and last steam trains I ever got the chance to ride on myself. So I think there's something wonderfully charming about recapturing the spirit in stories like The Last Express, which takes a really deep dive into the mingling of cultures that had nothing to do with each other outside the train, putting them in this isolated box where their stories were inescapable from each other. They couldn't avoid the issues that each other had. And then there's almost a, a, a kind of spiritual idea to me of hopping on the train and being in this other world that's mm. locked off from the outside until you reach the next station, until you reach your destination. I think it's always been a magical experience to go to sleep on a train and wake up and you're in a completely different country, yeah. in a completely different place. And it's not night and dark anymore. It's morning and bright and the, you know, the language has changed and everything around you is different. I think that's the, that's that has a real attraction. Yeah, it's almost more tangible because I think for me, at least, you know, when you get in a plane and go somewhere, you can't see the landscape going past you as directly as you can. There's a very tangible experience of things moving past you while, while you're on a train that's really beautiful like that. And I wanted to jump in on that note to talk more about the actual trains themselves. You know, we mentioned the 3801 was restored and various groups, including yourselves around New South Wales, have involvement in restoring and maintaining these classic trains. When we get into the kind of almost ship of Theseus idea when how many panels can you replace on a train and still have it be the original machine, mm. why go to the lengths to keep these trains working when they're essentially a showcase? What's so important about having the physical asset to you know, keep that history alive. Yeah, look, our society doesn't uh, it doesn't get involved so much with the with the rolling stock and the hardware. We focus more on the information and and so on. But I do know that there is a bit of controversy in the museum area that um, you know items that are considered important to preserve yeah. shouldn't really be used as a plaything. They shouldn't be operated because that's going to wear them out, and that means things need replacing, and then the object that you preserved is really no longer. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think, uh, as I was saying before, the, uh, the attraction is that you have a mobile museum, if you like. You have, a, you have something that you can experience as well as just look at. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I think people like to have these things restored and maintained and keep them operating. I mean, you know, despite the controversy, and I totally understand that on one level, on the other hand, I think it's actually kind of a fun part of the history because while the trains were in service, they were very much the same, constantly being That's right. changed out. They lack something when they're mm. just sitting there. Yeah. The, 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 the movement of them mm. and all that goes with that yeah. is definitely a part of the experience. Yeah, I mean, as I was saying, like the Orient Express, people think of it as a train, but it was a service and mm. it was about the cultures that experienced it. Mm. And you know, obviously we're a murder mystery show and I'd be remiss in asking the question, is there a story in your archives somewhere about a grim murder that's taken place on Australia's railways or do we have a better service record than the Orient Express? <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure if, if we have any that uh, would make for uh, in, enticing or in, entertaining listening like perhaps your, uh, your, your program, but uh, there's certainly many uh, incidents that have happened, whether it's been uh, people falling from trains or... Uh, various misadventures, criminals boarding and uh, people being chased and captured and so forth. Probably the most famous one involving a train was Ned Kelly in Victoria. Oh, yeah. Uh, which happened in and around the railway station in, in Glen Rowan. So, um, uh, but yes, uh, I think like 
most things in life, uh, the railways are a microcosm of society and so whatever happens elsewhere has probably happened on a train somewhere as well. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. And James, thank you so much for joining us here on Death of the Reader. As, a, as I said, a closet train nerd, it is so wonderful to get to talk about these things and these quiet hobbies I hide away in the corners when I'm not reading murder mystery books. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Felix. It was a pleasure. You're listening to Death of the Reader. We are discussing Jordan Mechner's The Last Express, and we will be back with more of that in just a second. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here. Your murder mystery world tour is on a train. The second (laughs) journey we've taken on the Orient Express, though, unlike our companion Agatha Christie last time, today we are with Jordan Mechner on the way from Paris to Vienna, where we met an untimely demise at the dagger of some Serbian rebels. Good on you. Yeah, that was pretty fun. I've honestly, just out the gate, I want to say I've never seen someone fail so utterly poorly at that section of the game. Uh, That said, I've only watched two people go through it, and one of them was just like bam, 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 yeah. like new exactly what's going Andrew, on. So. who we've had on the show before, yeah. is a machine when it comes to understanding yeah, certain game design principles. It's so bizarre because his, his first ending that he got was also in Vienna, but he got the secret ending. He got a super secret alternate ending oh, no. that I was like, how did he manage to get that? Uh, <laughs> and it was just because he misunderstood one key point of the the, the yeah. plot, I suppose. Uh, but you managed to, to miss all key items. I missed uh, everything. You didn't get any gold. You didn't find any weird, like, Chinese eggs. You didn't get the master key. You you didn't get any of the key items that you were supposed to kind of find on the Absolutely train. Absolutely nothing. But let me, let me be clear. This was your first time through, and I know that you, like myself, often discover a lot more in, in the reread. Yes. Or in this case, in the rewind. Uh, and that is a key part of this game and the way yeah. it's designed. When we were talking in the first part about how the clock works, where conversations happen at certain times, and if you're not there, you just miss them, it's also worth noting that the clock interacts with what you do. So if yes. you go into spaces, then time will advance just ever so slightly faster uh, so that if you do catch a conversation, then you don't have to wait as long for the next one and stuff like that. And if you get a bad ending or if you uh, get an ending that's good but you want to keep exploring a bit more, you can rewind yep. a certain amount of time and just pick up from uh, exactly where you were before. Yeah, In the original version of the game, you could click on the different stations on the map and go straight to them. In the gold edition, you have to just keep hitting the rewind button until you're back at a station I think you that be might at. be a bug based on the resolution because I was able to get that be. working when I shrunk it down to a tiny screen. That may be the issue. But yeah, the, the entire premise of this game, and this is why... I love it as a as a murder mystery, as a as a way of kind of re-read or re-experiencing the story. Like every time I go through this game, I experience something new. There's something that I have never seen before because there's just so much stuff in it. But it's it essentially means that you can screw up as many times as you want, you can get as many deaths or or get as many other characters, you know, into trouble as you like. <laughs> Um, or, or skip conversations or spend a yeah. bunch of time trying to reach people, whatever you want to do. And yeah, the other nice thing about it too is that when you get sent back on a ending where you die, for example, or you get kicked off the train, it'll put you back at a point where the situation is recoverable. The other thing that I that I also like, and this is to do again with, because uh, you know, we're a murder mystery podcast, talking about giving the, the person playing the game clues. Um, when you do achieve a bad ending, you get a little diary entry of one of the one of the characters on the train that says, you know, well, uh, they found a dead body on the train and there was only one character on the train without a ticket, so they were taken off. We went on as normal. And obviously that's a very early on game over where this character doesn't even know what's going on on the train. But as the, the story kind of progresses, things get more dire 
and you get different pieces of information about the exact circumstances by which your character is taken off yeah. the train. And you can use that to kind of plan to, to play the game again, right? Now, it's time to start talking about the mystery herds. Oh, God. Because one of the interesting things about this game is that it is a very atypical mystery in that, first of all, as we mentioned earlier in the show, mm. you're not the detective. You're a criminal on the run. <laughs> uh, so really, the detective would be looking for you, and the detective Abbott does, in fact, enter what? the train. What are you talking and, about? Uh, <laughs> it, it's amazing. The conversation where he first gets on the train He's and great. starts talking with you, the the rate at which it goes from, how much does he know, to, oh, he knows nothing, to, oh, he knows, knows yeah, everything. Yeah, he basically- paced beautifully. Because this is the thing, you're already halfway through the game by the point that, that Abbott, the detective, the British detective from, like, implied to be from Scotland Yard, yeah. actually walks onto the train. And so, you know, how, how much time do you think this game needs to establish a character and make you understand their deal? Turns out it's about 30 seconds. It's so good. And it, it involves Abbott saying, ah, yes, that young Russian on the train, you think he might have some beef with that older Russian? I don't know, maybe not. And what about that young Miss Wolf? She seems like the spy type. Like, he basically goes through all the important characters on the train and just tells you... Mm their deal immediately. It's fantastic. Uh, and then says to you, you know, uh, Robert Kath, you, you might have heard about that murder, you know. Well, he <laughs> says, Mr. Whitney, you might Mr. have heard Whitney, that. Mr. Whitney, of course, of course. Because <laughs> yeah. you are Robert Kath who did say yeah. murder. Of course, of course. Uh, yeah, so this this character is still, you know, holding up the facade. He's not here to drag you through the mud, but he lets you know pretty intentionally that he he knows everything that you know and you're not going to get much past yeah. him in the first 30 seconds. And Kat doesn't even get a word and he is out of there as soon as he can. It's, it's fantastic. It's, I, I mean, this is the thing. I know we're talking about the mystery, but like the, one of the best parts of this, of this story is just how quickly every character is established. You know, you get one conversation with them, you know exactly who they are and what they want and their motivation and that is such a strong part of their characterization for the entire rest of the game as, as well as the characters where you don't get a strong introduction on their character yep. then when you do find things that are different it stands out so much more such as the couple of ladies who the story reveals through a diary later on that they're a lesbian couple but the first conversation they're talking about you the cute new american boy on yeah, the train exactly and it means that those situations and those political allegories because this is of course a story about the lead up to world war Absolutely. one it means that it is so much stronger and confident in the way it does those things. And I think confident is the overwhelming mm -hmm. word that I would plant on everything this story does. Yeah. However. Uh-oh. What's your problem? I'd like to I'd like to uh, <laughs> do something that we have never done on the show before. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What's this? I would like to plead the Knox. What are you pleading? So one of the things is that <laughs> you discover that Tyler Whitney yeah. had a, uh, an egg that he was going to trade for gold to get gold to trade for weapons to help okay. some Serbian rebels, and it's a big looping mess. Okay. Of course, the problem here is, Herds, that <laughs> I have to plead Knox because I do not think it is possible for this mystery to be solved with oh. fair play methods. So, first of all, I wanted to point out that uh, the that all supernatural and preternatural agencies are ruled out as a matter of course, mm -hmm. and that uh, no Chinaman must figure into the story, mm -hmm. and that the detective himself must not commit the crime. Mm -hmm. So let's go through these things sure. because I think that the only thing that we have foreshadowing for in this story to adequately ping anything mm. on Tyler Whitney's death sure. is the egg. Okay. Wherein I assume based on the book that we find in Kronos, the uh, fittingly named weird man in the back carriage of mm -hmm. the train. Uh, named after Kronos, the Titan of time. Yes. 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 
Uh, based on a book that we find here, there, it seems that the Firebird, the egg that Tyler Whitney was carrying, has some sort of curse-like nature about it, mm. wherein if it is opened in the night, it screams, you come to great harm. Based on the fable of the woman, the Firebird, told in the book in Kronos' Carriage. Okay. So the most foreshadowed method of death we have for Tyler Whitney is a device X on the inside of that egg that only mm. functions at night. The other thing is, is that when we go through and we look at all the other characters in the train, Almost everyone, in a way, becomes the Chinaman. Everyone is the outsider. And I do mean to say that I'm not. this is not a criticism or complaint. It's actually one of the best parts of the mystery uh-huh. in this book. This is part of this this story's like thesis, right? Yeah. That all the characters on the, on the train are from different countries. They're from France and England and Russia and Serbia. And they all are kind of representative of those global powers at the moment that World War I hits, yes. right? because so much of the story is about these socio-political issues, mm-hmm. I feel it would be disingenuous to the stories it's trying to tell about those characters to say that one of them is more guilty than the other on account of those differences. So I guess my theory is, and I'm going I'm to say this, that either the egg mystically and magically uh, managed to kill Tyler Whitney in a method that mm-hmm. we are not able to examine his body for, or that uh, any one of the uh, cultural characters on the train, and I'll pin, just for the sake of being clear about it, I'll pin it on the industrialist August Schmidt just because his scene where you come up to him first in the train and then he immediately goes to Tyler Whitney's carriage, which gets you thrown off the train, is the most direct direct action that makes someone suspicious. I mean, I would would also mention that you have completely failed in every other mystery that's been part of the story, getting yourself killed. But yeah, that's fine. (laughs) That's fine. Sure. We'll we'll discuss uh, the murder of Tyler Whitney, I think, as we get further in the yeah. in the game. Um, in the meantime, I think that we need to retrace our steps and actually retrack the journey from Munich to Vienna. Uh, there is a concert that we should definitely not attend yes. uh, and many compartments to be snooped through, uh, which is the best part of the game, in my opinion. Absolutely. If you want to catch us streaming The Last Express, we will have done this quite a bit before this episode comes out, but you can always go back and watch the recordings up on the YouTube channel, which you can find uh, from the 2SEO website or our social media page at Flex and Herds. And I hope that you enjoy watching me suffer through this game as much as I have been so far. Look, I just enjoyed the scene where you got in a knife fight with a Serbian and he stabbed you seven times (laughs) before you managed to get him once. It was great. Uh, More of that, please. Oh, you wonder why I've been avoiding (laughs) interactive fiction for so long, Herds. That's all right. It's it's half the fun, honestly. This has been Death of the Reader. We will be going from Munich and Vienna all the way to the end of the game, Constantinople, next week on the show. Do not miss it. We hope you've enjoyed this little detour into interactive fiction here on Death of the Reader, and it will continue. You're listening to 2SER 107.3.